Hello. This is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, the first in the series of podcasts about um, role-playing games. My name is Michael Kuehl, and with me is... Roger Burton West. And together we, ageing gaming gurus that we are, are planning to share our general wisdom about the hobby of role-playing games, um, how to do it, how not to do it, what's new, interesting and exciting, what's old, interesting and exciting, and generally to answer your questions and spread a little joy and sanity. For appropriate values of sanity. For appropriate values of joy. So, who are we? When did you start gaming? I started gaming, oh God, help me, on January the 1st, 1976, which makes 2013 my 37th anniversary in the hobby lab. Oh, yes, it must be. I was, I was 21 then, and I'm 58 now, and that, that sort of adds up, doesn't it? Afraid so. Oh, dear. The first game, of course, was Dungeons & Dragons, because um, that's all there was in those days. And my first game was run by Dave Langford, he of the infinite number of Hugo Awards for the Spanbiter. And all I can remember is that I played a fighter, because they said that was simpler than being a wizard. And um, there was a ghost icebreaker chasing us around this ring of ice in the outer bit of the dungeon, which was wonderful. And there was already an old dungeon hand on hand who knew to tell me to search the remains of gelatinous cube for gold and things like that. Did you tell you to wear gloves? I think I was already deemed to be wearing gauntlets of some sort, but I may not have come through with my armour intact. Anyway, I played D&D for a while, and then in about 1979, I discovered RuneQuest, which was my next big enthusiasm. Um, my gaming mostly nowadays involves GURPS, but I still run RuneQuest. I'm currently running um, a very retro RuneQuest 3 game, in which I'm reusing all the RuneQuest 2 and RuneQuest 3 material settings around that I can find, this being a very lazy GM's way of doing things. Um, I do run other games occasionally. Um, I have a tendency to drag out uh, odd indie games, um, which are mostly improvisational theatre, um, as we put in our title, and annoying my, uh, my regular players with them. I have two regular groups um, meeting on a Monday and a Wednesday. I've been very lucky. I've been with them for more than 30 years. And you'll also see me at conventions, and I also pontificate, like nobody's business, on RPG Net and in the venerable gaming um, amateur magazine Alarms Net Excursions, which we must talk about one of these days. Indeed. And Roger, how long have you been doing this? Just a little bit less long than you. I started in 82 approximately. I don't have a precise date. It was at school and we weren't paying attention to calendars. But with so somebody had been in the States and brought back this, this new game that didn't have a board, didn't have a winner, and, oh, what the hell, let's try it. And that was, of course, Dungeons & Dragons. Which bit of Dungeons & Dragons? Because I'm a, I'm a system snob, and I have to know, it was just the three little booklets, uh, Greyhawk and Blackmoor, that was out when I started. People who remember details of versions will be able to identify it. It, it was the... Basic and expert boxed sets, which I think were published in the early 80s. I, very, I vaguely remember them. They were certainly fairly new in the UK then. Mm -hmm. 
And from the start, I was asking awkward questions like, OK, you've just told us we're going down these steps into the dungeon. What happens if I turn around and go back up? Yeah, that's a good question. The answer at that point, well, there isn't an adventure. But uh, so we, we got started there and went on um, a bit of RuneQuest, quite a lot of Traveller, mm. and Rollmaster for quite a few years. Oh, dear. Not as bad as people thought it was, but I think it has some of the same problems as GURPS in that you have to understand the system to generate a character. And that's the first thing you have to do. So you have to read everything. Yeah. I, th I think we can say my bitch about Exalted, which is the worst of those I've ever come across for late. Some interesting loopholes that I seem to remember. But anyway, um, I got, got into GURPS in the mid-90s. And uh, these days it's more or less exclusively what I run. I don't mind other things. I just don't really tend to find a need for them. Um, I will play practically anything. I run demonstration games at conventions. You are a man in black. I am. Which means I get paid for running demonstration games at conventions. Yeah, Charlie, so and so. And um, I've, depending on how you count them, two and a half regular gaming groups, uh, one of which is a weekly meet to the others, are monthly. Mm, I think pretty much we're all running GURPS these days. Oh no, we have we have some uh, 7th C, hmm. the old system before it got D25. Yeah, I, I suppose I should count uh, your, one of your monthly groups as an extra half group of mine, because I, I tend to turn off the rest. Right. Well, having said who we are, what are we talking about this time? This month, let's talk about the singularity. Oh yes, I've heard of that. What it is, and how one can game about it. The term seems to have been invented by John von Neumann, mm -hmm. uh, but was popularised by Werner Vinge as the point at which technological progress stops making sense. As in, once you have crossed this line, things that happen afterwards are not comprehensible to people before it. Yeah. This, is, this is, of course, a nonsense, but it's a useful concept. I think it's the point at which technology changes people so much that as old-fashioned people, as non-transhumans, I suppose not to get it. Um, I've got to say, looking at some of the stories of post-singularity, I, I do not get it. But um, there is supposed to come a point at which change happens so fast and new knowledge comes in so strong and powerfully that, woof, we become as gods. Um, that's a puffy reference. There does seem to be an exponential growth phase in many ideas of the singularity. I think it can't really be regarded as a single point, though, because for somebody who's ten minutes in, somebody twelve minutes in may not make sense. But somebody who's only eight minutes in, oh, well, that, that's the whole thing. We, we all understand that. So, yeah. so I, I think it's, be it's better to think of it as a period of very high change and growth rather than a single point after which everything is mad. We sort of assume for the sake of being able to say anything about the future, I think we sort of assume there comes a, a, some sort of stable point beyond the woof change. Or at least sl it's things slow down long enough to have books written about them. <laughs> yeah. And role-playing games. There are inherent difficulties with this as a role-playing setting. Making people understand what it's about, for a start. I think 
Classifying the technology is fairly easy, and this applies talking about it in the real world as well as in games. Mm. If, if you just say, well, everybody has a library in his head, in effect, well, that's something we can understand. What we can't necessarily work out, unless we're very good, is what implications that has for the society yeah. and for the people and how they think. Yeah, what it means to people, well, role-playing games are about working out what it means uh, to people to have various things, various abilities, having a sword in your hand, having a gun in your hand, um, having the rank of queen, are all things that a role-playing game could be about. Having the stuff that is highly speculative is going to be make things harder. And just to make things more complicated, everybody has this, not just your heroic characters. So, yeah. how, how does one take on a, a character concept or, or a setting where humanity is essentially obsolete? Uh, it seems to me there are two basic approaches one could do to this. Either back away and say there is still something that looks approximately like humans. Uh -huh. Or power on through and say, gosh, all this stuff has happened, and what happens on the other side of it after the singularity, when, as you say, things have settled down, what's left? Hmm. And the games we're going to look at do span both of those and some other ideas as well. I think you should note that the literature of this can do things that the role-playing games can't. There's lots of science fiction in which it depicts a future society and the author doesn't really care if you don't totally get it, because the poetry of it is enough. I was thinking of Cordwainer Smith's um, Instrumentality of Mankind stories, hmm. or um, even more extreme Alexei Panshin's books, where you're not supposed to get the faintest poggy idea about what's going on. Things just rush past you, and you're supposed to go, wow, that's the future, that is. The author can be the ultimate dirigist game master. He can, if he doesn't want to talk about something, he can simply make sure the characters never go there. Mm. Player characters, and well, players, in my experience, they nibble round the edges of things. They, they find the bit that's sticking up and prise it off with a claw hammer, or possibly high explosives. They, they, they will home in on that thing that you didn't want them to think about. <laughs> and say, hang on a minute... Oh, that's, that's the good news. It's when they think about things you haven't thought about at all. Oh dear, and they're going to do that as well. So the challenge for the writer of a transhumanist game, a post-singularity game, is that everything has to make at least a little bit of sense. You can't just concentrate on the yeah. flashy stuff. Well, the flashy stuff is fun. Too. I do. So. so, we have two large games to look at. Um, and the first one, I think, is you talking about transhuman space. Transhuman space was was first published yeah. in the mid-1990s. Uh, it is still an active line. There isn't a great deal coming out of it in, in print, but there are PDF releases these days. It was originally written to use a cut-down version of GURPS 3rd edition. Uh, rules modifications have now brought it into line with GURPS 4th edition. Uh, you can use the full system if you want to. So there are about... Eight or, eight or so paper books dealing with various parts of the, of the world, uh, but there is the, the one necessary core book that talks about the whole setting. And I think the problem that many people have with it is there's an awful lot of it. It's 2100 AD, all sorts of things have happened. There are, there are uplifted dogs that are, that are legally sentient, at least in many places. 
there are artificial intelligences, there are genetically upgraded humans, there are spacecraft going to Jupiter, uh, there's helium mining, there's, there are colonies on the Moon, there are colonies on Mars. There's an awful lot of stuff, and I think it can be very overwhelming. The usual advice to deal with this is don't try to use all of it at once. Pick a campaign, pick a particular area, and just start developing that, as it might be quite a few people have done private investigators on Earth, or debris collectors in Earth orbit, or that sort of thing. And then if later on people want to expand things, bits can be added in gradually. I think one of the... One of the distinguishing features of transhuman space is that it's an optimistic setting. It assumes we don't screw up too badly, although we do screw up in small details. There are wars. There have been a small number of fairly big wars, but there hasn't been any sort of really catastrophic event. I don't think any, any cities have been actually destroyed, for example, though quite a few of them have been invaded. Um, there are obvious continuities. The, the Royal Navy Space Service still have ships called HMS, even if they are prowling about the asteroid belt. And even if nobody's entirely sure what gender the king is. Well, how do you ask a king, excuse me, your majesty? How do you ask that sort of question? It's delicate. But there are discontinuities as well, and I don't know. They're, starting small seems like good advice, but it seems to, to lead to campaigns which are reiterations of classic tropes like the like the uh, the private detective stories which rewrite the 1930s but out in space well up to a point the thing that i i think one should do as, as a new gm in this setting is concentrate on the strangenesses mm -hmm. so maybe the basic plot is that there there is a missing valuable person yeah but the person who comes into your office is an uplifted dog, or an AI, or mm. perhaps it's a copy of the AI, which was made illegally, and now somebody wants to get it back, and may or may not be the original owner, and so on. Um, All right. The, 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 there are lots of things that can be dropped in for colour without immediately making the plots unrecognisable, though that can happen too if one wants, one wants to. The problem is, and I'm going to come back to this when I talk about um, Good Space, is there are things that the, the player characters would know that there are so many things that the player characters would, would know that um, the, the players aren't going to have the faintest idea about coming at, at it raw. I mean, how does one drop in um, the history of a hundred years? The, the approach I've taken is, first of all, there is a one-page briefing in... in the mo one of the most recent books, Changing Times, yeah, uh, and this is one of the pages that is in the free preview on E23, mm -hmm. which just gives a very high-level overview of the world. It's saying this this is the sort of creature that's out there and where, where they're regarded as human. You know, this is the sort of spaceship. This is how far people have got. Mars is mostly Chinese, that sort of thing. Yeah. So that works for avoiding major surprises. I would then say to once one is generating characters, the GM should keep an eye on the timeline, the, the future history of the setting, and say, for example, OK, you, know, you, you, you are a reasonably combat-capable sort of person. What were you doing ten years ago when the big war was on? Were you involved in that? Are you the sort of person who gets involved in national wars? Why, why are you now doing something else? Um, one can, I think, fairly easily tie in at least the, the major events from the, the timeline into people's 
personal backgrounds, and that gives them some, some feeling of investment of, I haven't just popped out of here fully formed, even though of course I have. There are other ways around. One can sit, one, one uh, convention adventure run by film masters has you waking up and realising that A, there is a discontinuity in your memories, and B, you are about six inches high and delicious. Oh, and there's a cat around. Yes. It might not be a basis for a long-term campaign, but it makes a very good four-hour adventure. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, dear. All right. <laughs> oh, that tickled me. I don't know why. One of the things, given that it is um, an optimistic setting, one of the things that strikes me about it is where are the conflicts coming from? Where are the implied threats in the system? I mean, you may not want to say too much about it because you may want to use some of this sometime. But well, part of it is, it's while there are lots of things changing in small ways, there is no single big. We all need to worry about this going on. Mm. Uh, there is no current large-scale war. Yeah, you know, if I were GMing, I really want to put one in. There are various things that could potentially turn into such. For example, um, quarrelling over the helium-3 resources in Jupiter's atmosphere, which mm -hmm. seem, seems likely to be where the next space war kicks off. On the other hand, that's quite a long way away from Earth. I, th I think one, one of the things about the setting is that it's essentially fairly conservative about technological developments. There are some things that are just stunningly good, like uploading of human minds into computers in such a way that they're recognisably the same people afterwards. But there isn't magic power storage, so while you can have a laser weapon, it's awfully heavy if it's going to do any damage. Uh, there isn't any sort of faster-than-light drive, so if you want to go to the outer system, it takes months. But there, there, are, there are commercial flights out to the, out to the outer system, and you can cruise uncomfortably in a small tin can for all those months. If you are so old-fashioned as, as to have remained biologically human, then, then you can go into suspended animation. Well, yeah, all right, I'm afraid I'm, I'm attached to this body. Um, I don't think the setting has um, survivable uploading, does it? Uh, no, a, a useful copy of a human does require the brain to be destroyed. You can make partial copies that you then send off to do useful things for you, like screening your spam. You too can play a character whose entire life is looking at somebody else's spam. But that's all right, you enjoy it. <laughs> now, the, the angle, angles I tend to look at are the artificial intelligences, because I'm interested in that anyway. Yeah. There does seem to be an unspoken convention that all transhuman space intelligences, artificial intelligences, are terminally sarcastic. It may just be a coincidence with the people who tend to play them. I think that, I think that's a gamer effect. Yes, I am here. I am stuck in a tin box, and um, you're trusting me to do important things for you and not get annoyed. And if I try really hard, I can slow down to think at your speed. <laughs> yeah, certain conflict between the various layers of um, characterisation there. Come on. But I, I, I have certainly run and played in campaigns with mixed human and AI and other things. Mm. And it does seem to work reasonably well. The AIs have lots of advantages in terms of fast thinking and ability to work with computers. But on the other hand, they, they're usually um, fairly poor on physical skills if they're even in a body at all. True. 
Why do you think the setting is going to go? Is it going anywhere? It explicitly does not have an ongoing timeline or metaplot. Mm. This was a uh, editorial decision when it was started. So while there are various possibilities for things that could happen, those are things that happen in individual people's campaigns, not in in the setting as a whole. You know, the decision that's been made before um, Han as a fantasy setting says it's seven ten, and after that it's your problem. Is advancing time going to be a problem on the? Um, because already we're nipping at the heels of the history that was outlined when it was first released in the nineties. Yes, if one wants to be absolutely strict about it, it could now count as an alternate universe. Uh, the current policy is try to be fuzzy on things before about the middle of the twenty first century. Mm. Don't go into too much detail about exact events and dates. Are we keeping up with their expectations back in the 90s? Um, some ways yes, some ways no. Fewer wars so far. That's good. I like that. I like this universe. Let's keep it, keep it going. There are things that constrain the game in ways that are, I think, unusually role-playing games. For example, you, your, your typical player character is not, not only not going to be the, the toughest bloke in the world, he's probably not going to be the toughest bloke in his local city. It's, it's, not, it's not a setting about being tough in most places. Uh, there's usually somebody bigger than you. Maybe it's an actual person. Maybe it's the local police department, which in many places there still is. There are supranational organisations. You can't really make it a campaign about gaining power unless it's within one of those organisations. There's a frontier everywhere, but there isn't that much of a frontier. Well, you, you can go along and um, with, with enough money or, or just enough chutzpah, set up your own asteroid and populate it entirely with clones of yourself, if you want to. But this isn't something most, most PCs want to do. They want to measure themselves against other people. Yeah. And keep, keeping secrets is quite difficult because there are lots... Let, let's say you're take, taking a spacecraft from Earth to Mars. Mm. That spacecraft is going to be tracked by hundreds of telescopes. E even a small one has a big enough drive player that it can be seen. There, there is no stealth ship. So if, if you want a plot where somebody is sneaking around in low Earth orbit, for example, mm. most of those don't actually work. And if once you're in the um, once you're in the cities in the in the built up bits, uh, yeah, you, you're even less likely to go on observed. Yes, if if you want to be sneaky about things, um, you have to take a fairly different approach. Looking like somebody else is quite popular, or for example, rent, renting a cyber shell, a, a drone body mm. that is completely anonymous rather than disguising yourself or just hoping you're not going to be spotted. Uh, one problem in the setting, in any sort of high-tech setting really, is research. There are lots of things that one could potentially find out. Well, yes, uh, uh, the presence of tablets and other personal computers at the, at the gaming table is going to complicate that as well, as long as you are insisting on your game having some root in our current reality. Though I know, I know one GM who actively encourages this and says, right, some, somebody find out about the history of X. Yeah. And I know well, some GMs who say, are you going to put that thing away? Indeed. But in-game in research uh, can slow things down a bit. Um, a, a bit like the traditional endless preparations for, for practically any, any complicated job oh, yeah. in, in a game. One, one can just delve into everything. And the GM has to provide that everything which is a pain for the GM. Or he can say, well, you know, clock's ticking. Mm, yeah. Except that, realistically, if we're using that word here, 
the information would be out there and you would be able to find it. You would be able to find out what Senator What's-His-Name was doing 10 year, years ago in, uh, in a whorehouse in Valparaiso. And, uh, and you, can, you can indeed find out uh, an analysis of uh, Senator What's-His-Name's um, current corporate holdings and what it reveals. And the GM has to provide at least a summary. To some extent, I think one, one can get away with saying, yes, you find out this information, it doesn't tell you anything important. One, yeah, do, one doesn't. Yeah. One doesn't want to overdo this. Yeah, yeah. The 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 the, the best the best best practice is to say yes. You discover something really exciting, and then come up with something really exciting. That's what you're supposed to do. But one one doesn't ultimately want want to have a um, campaign file with everybody's shoelace fashions three years ago, because somebody took an interest in it once and followed followed links. Oh no! All right. Now you're making me think, trying to think of a, of a means of using shoelaces meaningfully in a game. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Well, it's a good way of spotting somebody who's just been thawed from suspended animation. They have shoelaces. Neat, neat fashionable shoelaces. Mm. Um, there, there are some flaws in the setting. Um, Mimesics, the, the study of building contagious ideas, yeah. is something that was always present in, in the in the base book, but got very much expanded in one of the supplements, and one does rather feel that it ought to have tendrils into everything. Yeah, how, the, the, how the, much the politics, can... the, the advertising, the religions, all, mm. all of these things are in theory mimetically assisted. The power, I mean, the, the, the power of, of mimetics, the, the, con, the contagious idea, the idea that you can't help thinking about, the worse than the worst, than the worst advertising jingles in the world, idea. It's horribly destructive of free will. And if there's one thing that players like, it's having free will as to what they're doing. If you apply it to the players, aren't there going to be problems? I think the usual assumption is that there are lots of competing mimetic influences which end up being not terribly effective in any particular direction. But it is it is a problem. And I think one really has to skate over it rather than uh, indulge it fully, unless one is working in a campaign mm. that's focused on mimetics, in which case you wake up deciding that you don't like coffee anymore. might be a perfectly reasonable thing to happen, but that's something that the, the players would have to buy into. With a really strong use of mimetics, it turns into a horror campaign. Transhuman space can very easily turn into a horror campaign in all sorts of directions, um, and I suspect if one has a fairly conventional-minded group, that would be a good way to take it. Uh, there, there are so, several state broad stages of technology, those uses the topless waves nomenclature. Uh, so the third wave is roughly speaking where we are now, we've got basically computers. Fourth wave is where the biotech comes in, and fifth wave is pervasive artificial intelligence. So you, particularly if you take a group of relatively primitive characters and say, okay, well, yes, you, you, you can now genetically modify your children. It's perfectly normal. Nobody says anything wrong with that. In, in this other place, and I, th I think even fairly reasonable people are going to want to say, hang on a minute, what sort of safeguards do you have on this? There are many places where certain sorts of intelligence, sometimes it's uplifted animals, sometimes it's artificial intelligences, which are clearly self-aware, which can talk about themselves, which can write poetry, are regarded as property, can be casually destroyed if, if that's what the owner wants to do. There are sex droids. 
the set in the setting as standard. I, I some think. some of them conscious, some of them not. Yeah, and yes, it, 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 it's certainly not a perfect shiny future. Um, there, there are lots of big problems, and uh, a, a party of a crusading bent might well uh, spend mm. a lot of time on something of that sort. A good crusade is a, a basis for a campaign. And it, it, it's certainly, I think, the unspoken assumption that most player characters will be fairly liberal in their views and take the approach that if it can claim to be human, it probably is. Mm. But part part of the interest in the setting is to be able to say, well, yes, there, there are people who don't think like this. That doesn't mean they're evil. It's just the way they currently think. Mm. And changing that might well break large parts of their society. And that's another fun thing to do. Partly because there is no meta plot, the GM is entirely free to break large parts of the society, which is highly recommended. Well, having talked about um, an optimistic future transhuman setting, I'm going to go on and talk about the eclipse phase, which is the opposite. So, what is eclipse phase? Well, the dictionary definition of eclipse phase is that phase of a disease infection in which the subject has caught the illness but has yet to show any symptoms. And that's a very cunning title for what we have here. What we used to call incubation period. I'll go on and spoil it for you. <laughs> All right. This setting is a little less precise about when it is. It's at least a hundred years in the future and probably a little bit more because the calendar has been rearranged around the central event of the setting, the fall, which I'll come back to in a moment. Now, if transhuman space is conservative about its predictions, this setting isn't. There are, for example, take the example we made, there are safe uploads of human beings into computer forms. You can copy your brain into um, a storable format, you can start up a what's called a fork, um, a software copy of yourself running in a computer or in another artificial body, and send it off to do stuff for you. And it will be a full copy of you if you really want it that way, um, the so-called alpha fork. Though probably, if you're going to reabsorb them, you probably want to cripple it a little bit. And you can create full-scale artificial intelligences you can alter your body, you can alter your mind, and there is even um, a form of faster-than-light travel in the setting, though not an entirely happy one. We'll come back to that. And this is about as far from an optimistic setting as you're likely to get. Well, there are still humans. Yeah? There are still people and other people and other things out there. What seems to have happened in the setting is that mankind begins to spread out from Earth, begins to discover means of transporting themselves, both um, physically and occasionally um, transmitting themselves as um, radio signals uh, to other parts of the solar system. The future is dominated by um, hyper-capitalist movements, at least close into, into Earth. Um, the corporations decide that there's no point in um, while they like having a government, they like having their own government, one that's um, pretty much a wholly owned subsidiary of theirs. A proper government that makes the right decisions. Um, responsible and, um, and corporately um, supervised style government, uh, still maintaining the 
old um, myths about democracy. Further out, there were weirder people doing weirder things and um, experimenting with future socialism and future fascism on, uh, in, a, in one of the moons of uh, Jupiter, I think it is. But um, by and large, mankind was spreading fiercely outwards, and then on Earth, something which was beginning to look very like a final war began over resources, over dominance of what was still the most important planet in the solar system. Then, in the middle of that, something goes really, really wrong. A group of full-scale artificial intelligences, the Titans, were created to be war-fighting programs, probably by the Americans. And at some point, they go insane and start to destroy the human race. They start... Haven't we all wanted to do that sometimes? Well, yeah, yes. And if you're thinking much faster, you're going to come to that conclusion so much sooner. Though there are secrets here, background secrets that I won't go into, but this is what happened. They started to forcibly upload the human minds on Earth for reasons that aren't entirely clear and are one of the secrets of the setting. They started to transform people into monsters and war-fighting machines, and they started to pretty much destroy human life on Earth, changing the climate and generally pounding the ground with a hideous and pretty much unstoppable and incomprehensible war-fighting machines. They started to do the same thing on parts of the moon and on parts of the Martian colonies, and then they went away, and nobody's entirely clear why. And that's one of the mysteries of the setting. That was ten years ago. That was the fall. And the setting is now ten years after the fall, with humankind trying to pretend as much as possible that they have a bright and optimistic future, holding on um, more prosperously in the centre of the solar system and spreading out um, more precariously in places. And in the background very, very tightly hidden, is Firewall, which is the organisation the player characters work for. So, right right up front, rather than the huge setting and pick a bit of it that is transhuman space, you're saying, this is the default campaign. This is the default campaign. There are other possibilities, but the default campaign is, you're working for the people who are working to ensure there isn't a second fall, because humankind will not survive it. Now, this gives a solid focus. They fight against what are called existential threats, which could involve people tampering with the stuff that the Titans have left behind. The stuff that the Titans have left behind coming active again. The corporate um, lords and masters deciding to do something stupid, which happens, I imagine, with frightening frequency, given the way corporations work in the real world. And... Um, other political factions, the uh, fascists who um, are in uh, one of the moons of Jupiter, I can't remember at this moment in time, are deciding that they're going to start throwing their weight, weight around, or the anarchists coming up with a really cool idea that they really can't help trying out on the rest of us. All we have to do is rewrite human nature. And we've got this nifty little program, just listen to this. <laughs> that sort of thing, yes. So you are part of a secret organisation which will deny all knowledge. Well, actually, the secret organisation denies that it exists. But, but broadly speaking, you're, you're doing things that most people would approve of if they were allowed to know that they were happening. 
Yes, except when they clash with their corporate goals or personal political ideologies. So you've got to focus right, right from the start. And you can say, with a default campaign, this is what it's, it's about. And you can explore, with a default campaign, the mysteries of what's going on. There are other possibilities. Somebody, possibly the Titans, probably the Titans, because they turned up when the Titans vanished, have left behind a set of gates to other solar systems, most of which are highly hostile, and ones which aren't entirely hostile to human life tend to be infected with other forms of life which are also dangerous. So you can go and explore the galaxy very, very carefully and risking your life at every step. Or at least a copy of your life. Yeah. This is um, one of the weird bits about the setting, that um, you have to keep careful track of which version of your character you're currently playing. It, it talks about this in the GM section. Basically, you have to keep at least enough paperwork to be able to say, if I am killed here and they can't recover the memory recorder that's built into my spine, what is my most recent backup and what does it know? Now, as a GM, I already keep my character sheets in version control, but it sounds as if it might actually be useful in okay. this case. Yes. Now, you, you are on the wave of the future. Um, yes, and they will require a certain amount of uh, role-playing skill um, for players to think, hang on, this is version 3.5 of me. I don't know what version 4.7 discovered in the Bruins of Titan, but, um, oh well, I can play with that. So, so this friendly person who's being helpful to me, I don't know anything about that knife he was wielding last week. Yes. I can't remember that he betrayed me to my certain and degrading death. Oh dear, never mind. Perhaps he doesn't remember that either. Never mind. People are, by and large, whether they are of strictly human origin, or an uplifted animal, or even uh, one of the more advanced but not ultimately advanced AIs are pretty much people, but they are separated into two halves, their ego and their morph, their mind and the body they happen to be currently wearing. So even though you start out by designing the character so that they are a corporate uh, executive wearing an attractive skin suitable for socialising and doing corporate politics things, you may find yourself playing the same person inside a warbot on the surface of Venus at a later stage. So, Presumably the character sheet is carefully designed to make this well, there are, viable. It is, it, is, it, is do, it is doable. It is slightly odd that your character, even your character's mind will change slightly because you may be running on a faster or slower processor. But one of the things to be noted is that there is no soul as such. A transhuman space gets around that by saying you upload yourself, you die. But in this game, there is no... It occurred to me reading this game that a soul is digital rights management for your personality. And there is no such thing. So multiple versions of you may be out there and who gets to control them may become an issue, I don't know. Theoretically, you could play the same person. Everybody in the game could be playing the same person. Transhuman Space mostly gets around this by, by having stiff legal penalties for multiple copies of a sentient being, mm -hmm. which is a sidestep, and that there are people out there who just don't care about laws. So, And in this setting, they're called corporations. Indeed. Yeah. 
there are a lot there is a lot of technology there's potential immortality there's even real immortality if you don't if you can maintain continuity of identity and um, and keep regrading your body there are problems like the fact that um, the corporate masters may not want to sell you something that has infinite lifespan there are settlers on mars who have to um, go in for a, a regular upgrade and pay for it in order to keep healthy you can transmit anywhere in the system instantaneously there is faster than light um, communications um, quantum entanglement but that costs like nobody's business but it does make the campaign potentially um, a very fluid one you aren't going to spend all those months in a spaceship traveling from a to b um, and you don't have to send the whole party all together in yeah. order to keep their timelines attached well quite they uh, you can you can be transmitted to uh, from Mars to Venus and find yourself in an entirely different body suitable to Venus. You can even find yourself playing a sort of whale that lives on the sun. Though I'm not entirely... Not. Well, it's the sort of thing you want to have done rather than to do regularly, I would have thought. I mean, the social interaction may be fascinating too from an anthropological point of view. But you can also modify... Um, transmitted minds, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. Um, you can create cells which are for specific purposes, or cells which are crippled. Which don't get bored as easily, for example. Yeah, that, spam, that sentient spam filter lifestyle is something that um, is available here as well. The downside of the world, well, the big downside is that Earth is gone. Um, you can actually get there, if you don't mind running through the um, quarantining war sets which will blow up your uh, your um, spacecraft as you try to go in, or the uh, jamming war sets will, will try and destroy your transmission of your personality down to the few remaining receiving plants on Earth. But it's crawling with uh, mutated um, former inhabitants, diseases, and uh, the remnants of the Titan's war machines. There are probably some people um, still living down there in deep deep shelters, but most people try not to think about that. There is a... Because anybody claiming to be a person from Earth is probably a war machine yes. wanting to get out. Yeah, or a, or a sentient disease wanting to transform you into a copy of itself. Um, and uh, there is a faction which wants to reclaim Earth, but they are mostly highly romantic people. There are remnants of the Titan's war diseases lying around all over the place. Some of them uh, can transmute human beings into monsters. Some of them can just give human beings psychic abilities, and if you're a psi in the system, you probably want to keep that secret, because you've at least been partially transformed by a, a, war, a war disease. Um, the population is low. It's only ten years since most of the human race died. Most of it was on Earth. And most of it was, a, one, was on Earth. There are still people frozen down there or stored in, um, in, in computers down there that will probably never, ever rejoin the rest of the human race. The large numbers of people who manage to get off are only in the form of infomorphs, in the form of uh, computer-stored personalities. And um, the lucky ones have been chosen to be indentured uh, slaves, virtually, to the corporations, and may eventually pay their way, way out of servitude, eventually, with luck, and not too many bad um, uh, reviews by your line manager. So the world is a fairly desperate place. The mechanics are fairly 
straightforward, um, easy to do. Um, it's a, basically a D100 uh, setting. There are lots of details of the various types of person you can be, of the backgrounds and the bodies. Your character will be a combination of background and bodies and of the experience that they've had and the body that they find themselves using at this moment. So if you want to get going with people who don't particularly know the setting, you can you can just start so, off with, here are a few options to choose from, here is a few more options to choose from, combine the two, you will have at least a I'd strongly, I'd strongly say, here are set, I would strongly say, if I, if I were running this, here is a set of pre-gen characters that can be used in our starting setup. Let's take it from there. So, so even though you've got the templates, it's, it's probably worth it's probably doing worth some fitting decisions. I would, I would, I would say so. Give the players a certain amount of opportunity to personalise and specialise the character, but um, do, make most of the decisions um, at the start. There is, I suspect, even more than in transient space. There is a lot of background and a lot of things that the characters would know that um, would influence their background. Use what the, the setting is giving you. Use what the um, publishers are giving you, and they are being generous in uh, bringing out presets and also giving you the tools to build your own. Because you're going to have to, if you're going to make the most use of the, of the setting, you're going to have to rebuild your character several times during the course of it. It does seem to me that, if, particularly if you're talking about human characters, they're presumably more than ten years old. Mm. They're going to have a story about. Yeah, how they got up, how where they were when when the fall happened, how they got out, what they think happened, and how they feel about what happened, what their political aims are. It's almost certain, given that um, Firewall recruits from all across transhumanity, that you're going to have players who have players player characters who have very diverse views about the future. They will agree that humankind coming to an end is bad, but more than that, they may not agree with each other, which is good for player interaction. And after all, maybe it could be replaced with something better. It already has. We're all transhumans nowadays. One of the problems that's definitely here in running a campaign is one we noted with transhuman space, the fact that, especially in the inner system, but even in, the out, in parts of the outer system, everything you do, everything you say, everything that happens, will be made note of and may be used against you by an unfriendly person. There is a book um, called Panopticon, um, which I have not got, which is um, goes into, into details with that. I think, on the whole, if you are going to want to duck and dive and um, do sneaky things, it's probably best not to be in the inner system too much or too long, because um, it, uh, basing your character's somewhere where personal freedom is still more than a, a campaign slogan probably one of the best things one odd thing to be noted there are two economies in the game setting in the inner system there is money it's pretty strongly controlled by the corporations who let you have as much of it as is convenient to, to them maintaining their social system in the outer system you have reputation this is a big thing in um, a lot of transhuman or singularity um, fiction, that people aren't going to need money anymore because people will do things for people because they know people and they like people. This does happen in the real world. 
um, the, the, the non-transactional approach to economics. Yeah, well, um, but I'm not entirely sure that um, I'm not entirely sure I'm looking forward to that future. If I go, if I go to the bank and um, and take some money out, I can give it to people without me having to introduce myself. And uh, I feel that this is a feature of modern civilization I'd rather not use. But and somebody or something is still going to have to empty the dustbins. True. And what reputation will he have? But the, there are two settings, so you're going to have to track how much your character is trusted by the various circles he's in, um, the various social groups that he interacts with and can call on for favours, and also how much money he has for when he's in the inner system and called corporate bastards who want cash. It sounds as if it could be fairly complex but rewarding if there's a reasonably clean system for doing it. The system feel, feels clean, and the, from what I've uh, read, I've not yet run this, um, and I must, uh, from what I've read, the, um, uh, the system should play quite cleanly. But as, again, as I say, there is a lot of detail, and if I know gamers, eventually they're going to want to, they're going to, want to try and gain that detail and to gain that system. But to start with, let's, let's give them something pre-generated and something that can focus them because there's a lot to be discovered and a lot to be learned before you can start to gain the inputs. So th those are the two major games. And uh, in just a moment, we'll take a look at a couple of others. Okay. Two other um, systems I'd like to mention at this time. Um, the first is a very, they're both fairly obscure, to be perfectly frank here. The first is an old game which was only ever had one thing published for it, uh, which is called Sufficiently Advanced. Now this is the far, far, far future. Earth is long gone and, um, well, long abandoned to people who didn't like to leave Earth. Well, I like to sit around on the uh, on porch after a hard day working on the farm and look at the stars and think, wonder what they were. And those are the people who are left behind on Earth. Up in the stars, there are people who are living as computer simulations. People are turning their bodies into machines and uh, people who are living even weirder and stranger lives um, by, for example, wearing masks all the time and changing their personality every single time they change their mask. So it, it starts to look Baroque. It's a, it's a highly Baroque and weird setting and th this has a single focus as well which is that all the player characters, no matter which of these settings they come from, and each setting has a particular strength, um, is working for one organisation, which is the Patent Office, which is the organisation which handles um, inter-civilisation, um, transmission of scientific knowledge and cultural knowledge and that sort of thing. And the, the reason it's interesting is at the head of the Patent Office, are a group of artificial intelligences from the far future who have set it up so that their far future will come into existence. So you're getting to go and answering problems at the very point where they're about to become really quite sticky. And no, but, but they could seem entirely trivial at the point where you arrive. Yeah, but you know, because you've turned up and you're a patent office inspector, there's something strange about to go on here. It's a rather neat setting. I've never played it much, but the strange feeling I probably never will. But it's it's the extreme end of 
transhumanism. Once all the transformation is done and things have stabled down into you, it. You've still got things that recognisably think like humans. You kind of have to if you're going to have human players. True. But they are. Uh, each one is transformed in some way and has their own weirdness about them. The um, in, One of the interesting things about the character sheet is that the... Uh, the characters are rated solely in what level of particular techs, technologies, they can manage. The people from the, um, I'm going to turn myself into a machine, it's the only adult thing to do, um, culture are good at, well, things that involve machines and fighting and bashing. Whereas the people who wear lots of masks might well be good at the sociological um, interpersonal re re reactions and so your level of tech might stretch from what a human being now would understand to stuff that's really bloody world transformationally weird it's a very odd setting I can see why it's never been expanded on but it's there's something about it that makes makes me wish that I had, had the impulse to play it more it, it sounds as if there's something of a continuum here. In transhuman space, you have Americans, Australians, so on. In uh, eclipse space, you, you have people who at least remember what Americans were. And, uh, and, and, oh, well, and again, Mars is full of the Chinese. Um, but even if most of them are, are tending to be um, something like Wild West American frontiersmen. And there are fascists. On the moons of Jupiter, but but again. those are cultures which are recognisably from our own period, whereas in sufficiently advanced, there's the artificial maintenance of old-fashionedness on Earth, and there's a movement for people to start pretending that they are old-fashioned people um, from Earth. They are ancient Greeks and things like that. But of course, but of course, yeah, um, the SCA lives. But um, but the core societies are so enormously transformed as to have forgotten everything that they ever knew about Earth, and it's way way back there. There's uh, it, it, it's in a library somewhere. We can look that up. If yeah, if we if we need to, I should. There is um, a very brilliant, and it's and it's it's slightly off topic role playing game by my friend Marcus Rowland called. Um, sorry, Diana Warrior Princess. Diana Warrior Princess, which is basically um, a re a rejig of um, of the of Xena, um, but rewritten as if as if it were a television series, uh, being put together in the umpteenth century, which looks back on the twentieth century in much the same way that uh, Xena looks back on Greek mythology. I wrongly. And they, these things were only 40 or 50 years apart, of course we can put them together. Yes, um, and you have uh, Diana, the warrior princess, with her sidekick, Fergie, who goes about fighting the uh, evil god of war, Landmines. And you have uh, Thatcher, the sorceress queen. Oh, it's wonderful stuff. Um, but that... But, that and a little bit more. It's a level of historical research one might expect. That, 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 that's the sort of thing that you might, might that the people who are sufficiently advanced might remember about Earth. 
the other thing I was going to mention, and uh, I have read the beta test version of this, is a game called Free Market, which is a modern, new game, which has had one release, and I'm sure there are people out there who are enthusiastic about it, and they're going to write to us about this. Oh, well, basically, the idea is, this is one of the games I don't get. There's probably going to be a list of these if we, we go on with this podcast. Amongst the games I don't get is Free Market, in which you are a newly arrived inhabitant in an orbital station around one of the moons of one of the outer planets, I can't remember which, which has been stuffed full of anarchist-type people, far in excess of its uh, current um, advised uh, life support capacity, and they are living a life of total freedom and um, a reputation economy, and going around and doing exciting things. And as far as I can tell, this particular anarchist future seems to involve everybody in the world being in marketing in some way. And the really strange thing is, this is not a horror setting. And we just go back to killing off 90% of humanity. I think I found it more comforting. Yeah, you will know that, um, that, uh, that's, a, that's a thing that happens a lot in the future. H.G. Wells at least started it with uh, Things to Come. He killed off 90% of the human race in order to uh, achieve his socialist utopia. And um, Eclipse Phase did it in order to achieve a, cap- a capitalist dystopia. That's progress for you. Naturally. Naturally. We'd love to hear from you if there are other transhumanist games which we've missed, which we really should have mentioned. In fact, we'd love to hear from you generally. So please get in touch. So there'll be more details at the end or on the website. This is true. What we would like to do in the next section of our podcast, as a regular thing, is to offer you our sage advice, as we are our two grey-bearded um, gentlemen of great experience. Between us, more than a normal person's lifetime of gaming. Oh, God, that's... You have to say that. You're depressing me now. We would like to offer our sage advice uh, in your personal difficulties... Uh, no, in your personal difficulties in role-playing. And, uh, in role-playing games? In role-playing... Should we start to record this game? Now, let's keep going. Anything we can tell you about role-playing games, about how to do them, why to do them, what's fun and what's not, please write to us, ask us questions, and we will offer you our sage advice. Uncle Mike and Uncle Roger. This is our gaming clinic. Please write us. And we hope to hear from you, and we hope to speak to you again sometime soon on call it? Improvisational Radio Theatre with Dust. That's right, yes. This is the end of podcast one. <laughs>